what triggered this bizarre behavior. Journey into the cold heart of northern darkness with Nordic crimes. That case uh, became like a scene from a horror movie. A new true crime documentary series that chilled the bone. The hunger for killing is increasing in the course of these homicides. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nordic Crimes is a part of the Acast family. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, this is a prepaid call from Kimberly Boone. An inmate at a Florida Department of Corrections institution. Testimony is underway in the trial of a woman accused of trying to kill her husband twice. I still had this gun on me and I shot at him. It was it was actually my husband that was there. I didn't realize it was him. The insurance paid off on it. And I find it stunning that they even attempt to go back and file an attempted murder charge on him. Hello and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. This is part two of my chat with Kimberly Boone, the mother of two serving over 30 years in prison for arson and first-degree premeditated attempted murder against her husband, a crime in which she has always maintained she's innocent of. As always, if you haven't listened to part one of this story, time to hit that pause button, jump on back, catch up, and we'll be right here waiting for you when you have. In the previous episode, we heard all about Kim's early life. As she put it, she led a very normal existence. A mother of two kids and wife to a husband she said was her best friend. However, now she found herself in jail for the very first time in her life, accused of trying to kill that best friend. There are a number of things that intrigue me about Kim's story, and we're going to cover them all. Obviously, one of the biggest things is this relationship between Kim and her husband. Kim is about to go on trial for his attempted murder, a man she says she never argued with, a man she says knew this was all an accident. So the obvious question for me is, what is he doing while all of this is going on? What's your husband doing while this is all going on? Like, obviously, you're, you're, you're on trial for his attempted murder after shooting him, which he's told the police was an accident. What's he doing? Is he coming to your defence? No, I never spoke to him again. He never said anything. He he testified for the state, but he didn't have anything bad to say about me. He didn't, you know what I'm saying? They just asked him basically what happened, and he told them that but there was no no um, testimony that would even indicate that there was any kind of an issue or a problem or anything like that. Okay, so he so, didn't say anything bad against you. He just um, told them the facts of what he knew, and then that was it. Right, that's it. But he so but he didn't he didn't sit there and go this is insane. My wife wouldn't try and kill me. Like this is ridiculous. No, he never no. No, he never said that. He never took he never 
said anything in my defense, and he never said anything that opposed me. He just basically said, this is what I remember from, the, you know, that happened this night. So then why do you think if, if he obviously, you know, he said that this was an accident, you know, and he didn't say anything bad against you, why do you think that he's just cut you off and never spoke to you again? Um, I, I don't know. I feel like he was a police officer, like I said, up north, and all of his friends were. He had, a, he had his best friend who was a detective, and, you know, so they were just in the public safety line of work, and they, she had a lot of people that were full of integrity, and I just don't think all police officers, because of their profession are, are honest. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they talked into it and, and said, well, you know, Rob, this couldn't possibly have been an accident, you know, because of this and because of this. And I just, you know, I just felt like he was kind of maybe in shock about it all, or maybe he was weak minded, you know, something where he just, he was kind of a private person. So I'm sure that it was a, a big deal for him just to be a, a, a public trial like that yeah because it was all in the news but i just i don't know yeah but i mean i don't know i couldn't answer that he never spoke to me again so We are going to take a closer look into kim's husband's testimony when we look at her trial for the arson and attempted murder because let's not forget before we even get to that trial we first have to deal with an attempted murder trial for the shooting now, if you remember from the previous episode, Kim was originally arrested for shooting her husband after she says she believed him to be an intruder. In there, I heard like a something, a noise out in the garage, like a wrench drop. So, um, I yelled like for my husband, right, that, that second I yelled for him. And as I yelled for him, somebody was coming at me and um, he didn't make any kind of sound or anything. So, I still had this gun on me and I shot at him. It was actually my husband that was there. I didn't realize it was him. And um, he said he had yelled out for me and I didn't hear him. And I said I yelled out for him and he didn't hear me. But I ended up shooting my husband. So while she's in jail awaiting her trial for that case, she was also charged with the arson and premeditated attempted murder. Yeah, a month after I had been in jail for the shooting, they charged me with arson and attempted murder so that they could use it against me in the shooting trial. If I hadn't been charged with it, they could not have used it against me. So. That's what my attorney said. They used, they charged you so they could use it against you and make it look like the shooting wasn't an accident. A case that they believe will show a pattern that she's tried and failed to kill him previously. But it doesn't quite go the way prosecutors had hoped. They kept me in, they kept me in jail about 16 months. I went to trial on the fire, I mean, sorry, on the shooting. And they had all this witness testimony, but they found me not guilty of the shooting. They, you know, but bullet trajectory by witness testimony you know because we my husband was my best friend we never fought argued we got along great um and i know that that is not proof of anything but it goes to show you know a person's character it goes to show the type of relationship that we had now much like the doris moore case kim's case also garners a lot of media attention and of course upon the not guilty verdict it was primetime news Not guilty, the verdict. Kimberly Boone, accused of trying to kill her husband on two different occasions, three months apart, was acquitted by a jury a little over an hour ago. State of Florida versus Kimberly Sue Boone, case number 09-1581 CFA. Verdict. We, the jury, find the defendant not guilty. With that, an attempted murder case ended with no emotion from Kimberly Boone. She was accused of staging a burglary at the couple's Winter Springs home. 
of shooting her husband straight in the chest when he walked into the dark garage. So Kim has beaten the attempted murder trial for the shooting of her husband. With all the state's evidence, a jury of her peers disagreed that this was intentional. But Kim is by no means free to go. You beat the shooting case, so then that's done, and then they take you, what, straight back to to jail because they say, well, you've got to go to court now over the fire. Right, straight back to jail. Um, I spoke to my attorney, and he said, well, they used everything about the fire against you already. Um, So, you know, he said, probably give it about 60 days, and you'll probably be out because, you know, they didn't have a case with everything together. They've got even less now as a standalone case. He said, so they'll probably let you out in about two months. Kimberly Boone does not walk free. She still faces a second count of attempted murder. The state says she tried to burn down a different family home three months earlier with her husband in it. A neighbor saved it. Her attorney says that case has an issue as well. The problem is the fire marshal found it to be an accident. The insurance paid off on it. And I find it stunning that they even attempt to go back and file an attempted murder charge on it. But they didn't let me out. They, they built a circumstantial case and made me go to trial for the fire as well. They made no plea officer, officer or anything else like that. You'll hear this quite a lot with the cases that we discuss, circumstantial evidence. But what exactly does that mean? With Kim being a law clerk and having studied the law for the last seven years, I asked her to explain. Just quickly, you mentioned there's a lot of um, talk of circumstantial evidence. For people listening, because I know you're a, you're a law right. clerk in the prison, can you explain what circumstantial evidence is? Um, circumstantial evidence, you have hard evidence, which is basically DNA evidence, something that is actual proof of, you know, somebody's guilt or innocence. Um, Circumstantial means that there's nothing that can be proven. It's just kind of alluded to or suggestive. The way way it works in Florida is if if a case is 100% circumstantial and you can present a reasonable hypothesis, offices of innocence um, that they're not supposed to convict because there's still got to be some reasonable doubt. Mm. You know, there's nothing that pinpoints that says this is the person. There's absolutely no doubt. It's just kind of like, well, um, you know, this looks like it might be this. There's nothing, though, that, that's any proof of anything. Just um, a suggestion. So you're back in um, prison. Yeah, you, the lawyer said, "Oh, they'll let you out in a couple of months." They haven't. They said, "No, we're taking you to trial on this." Um, what happens from there? Pretty much, um, I just, uh, you know, I sit there like another f- fifteen months, I think, waiting for them to set a court date for trial. Um, we had had a trial date one time at the beginning of twenty. Gosh, it's been so long. Twenty eleven, I think, and they. They postponed it until the end of the year. Um, we picked jury. In the meantime, my attorney had contacted the state attorney and, and asked if they were going to make any kind of plea offer. And the state attorney said, no, we're not going to offer anything because she won't take it anyway. When you first got arrested for the... I want to go back to the shooting again just quickly. How long were you in jail for before you went to trial? Uh, I was in jail for probably 17 months. So you, spent, trial. so you spent over a year in jail for a crime you hadn't been convicted of, you'd just been accused of. And did you, did you get, was no, no right. chance to get bail or you just couldn't afford the bail? No, I had a, I had a bond hearing and they told me that um, they were not going to grant one because they thought that I would have the means to, um, you know, jump bail 
So they denied it. The strange thing is I'm, I'm also talking to another inmate at the moment who's in the, in the male facility and he had a history of being in prison and, and drug abuse uh, and he got sentenced, but the, right. the judge gave him a few days to get his affairs in order. So, I mean, I just find it amazing that you, right. you're, you're a mother who, you know, had no priors uh, and yet they wouldn't uh, allow you bail. No, they wouldn't give me, they wouldn't give me bail. Once you got off the, the first charge and you went back to jail, how long did you spend in jail before you went to trial for the, for the, the fire? Oh, a little over two years, two and a half years, something like that. Two and a half years you spent in jail before you even went to trial and you've just been found not guilty of another charge. Correct. And, and what happened with bail in that situation? Um, they denied it again. They, they, wouldn't set, they wouldn't give me a bail and give me a bond. Now, let's imagine this again from Kim's perspective. You've been arrested for attempted murder after you, as Kim says, accidentally shoot your husband one night. Your life is turned upside down and you are taken to jail. You've not been found guilty, you've just been charged. After a month in jail, you are then charged with arson and given another attempted murder charge for a house fire you had four months previously that had already been ruled an accident by not one, but two independent fire marshals. Then a year and four months later, you finally go to trial, and after weeks of evidence and testimony, you are found not guilty. But instead of walking free that day, you are sent back to jail to spend another over two years locked away. So you have now spent over three years locked up. Your freedom taken away, you haven't seen your family or had any contact with your children in that time. And so far, you have not been found guilty of any crime. In fact, you've just been found not guilty. Now, I could understand the shooting. I thought, if anything, you know, I actually did pull the trigger, whether it was accident or not, I actually yeah. did hit, hit my husband. So I can see, I can see ju- that justification. But in the, if, once we ha- take that out of the equation altogether, and you're looking at the fire, Rob was not even hurt in the fire. Yeah. You know, there was, you're, you're treated, they treated me like I had murdered a, a whole bunch of people. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, and as I said, I mean, going back to this other gentleman I'm talking to, the one who was given um, bail, he actually skipped bail. Um, uh, but again, he didn't, hurt any, he didn't hurt anyone and they eventually obviously caught up with him and the judge gave him a 107-year prison sentence. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What state was that in? That's in Florida where you are. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he, he basically got, because um, he, he resisted, arre- they say he resisted arrest. He says he didn't resist, resist arrest, but he resisted arrest. Um, he had two charges of um, assault against a law enforcement officer um, and, uh, and his other, ch- basically the judge gave him the maximum sentence possible for every single charge without the possibility of ever getting parole. And he didn't kill anyone. He didn't even hurt anyone. No, no, officers, uh-huh. no officers were injured at all. You know, there are, not to get off subject, but really quickly, you know, I see a lot of this. There are several women in prison who, uh, I know two of them, both of them just had uh, like a petty theft. They had stolen something out of the mall. And the one girl, you know, jumped in her car and she was speeding away. And I guess the security guard called the police. So they kind of blocked her in uh, the parking lot. So she backed up and went and drove over the curb. And she didn't even point her vehicle at an officer. The officer ran and jumped on the side of her car. 
And in, in each one of these cases, they gave these girls an attempted murder charge. What? Sentenced them to 30, yeah, 30 and 35 years in prison because they said, you know, they were trying to kill a police officer. And all they were trying to do was get away because they had stolen, uh, you know, a $10 item from the mall. And because an officer jumped on the car and put himself in danger for something so minor and insignificant, they gave these girls an attempted murder charge. It happens all the time. So Kim's been through her first trial for attempted murder for the shooting of her husband. She's been found not guilty and is sitting in jail about to go to trial for her second attempted murder charge and the charge of arson. As we've already discussed, her story and the trial have been big news. It's covered regularly on the local station. Closing arguments right now in a Seminole County courtroom. The state says Kimberly Boone tried to kill her husband. The state said Kimberly Boone was deep in debt and tried to kill by cashing in on life insurance. She was accused of staging a burglary at the couple's Winter Springs home of shooting her husband straight in the chest when he walked into the dark garage. Kimberly Boone will sit before a jury in Seminole County on trial for trying to kill her now ex-husband, Robert. So my initial thoughts are, heading into the next trial, surely the jury will be well aware of her first trial. So I asked him about this. Did the jury that got chosen, did they know about the shooting previously? Well, um... You know, they're not allowed to use it against you because I was acquitted, and that obviously would be prejudicial. And But it was such a high-profile case that one, I remember one time being in jail that I had not even been to a court date in five months, yet an officer would come in and say, Boone, I saw you on TV again last night, and, and it's a fairly small county, Seminole County in Florida. So it's, it's very small. It's predominantly older um, Caucasian families. Um, who watched the news, so there's no doubt that they had to have heard about it. The judge can turn around and say to the jury, oh, you forget about the, the shooting incident, and that can't be used here, but you can't stop people thinking what they're going to think, you know, they, they're, it's just, it's impossible. Exactly, and every day she would emphasize, she would say, now, if the TV is on and the news is on, walk past it, do not turn your <laughs> yeah. radios on, don't course, Google course, the Yeah, of course telling, they're doing that. It's like telling a Telling the child, yeah. telling the child, don't touch this. They're going to touch it because you told them not to. So they knew that obviously that there was something that they did not, you know, they weren't supposed to see. So human nature would be, you know, I'm going to go home and Google this. Girl. Exactly. If I have to use somebody else's computer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they're going to go on the internet. Like I, I've gone on the internet and seen all the stuff that there is to, to see on it. They're not going to think, oh, well, I'll ignore that because, you know, we're not supposed to think about that. They're going to see the shooting and they're going to go out to this and they're going to put right. to, and the, and then, you know, they're going to get all the state stuff that they're saying and you almost need to have a jury from out of state or somewhere completely different where they don't know anything about the story. Um, otherwise, it's just not fair. Exactly. And he did, um, I think he did, my attorney applied for a change of venue, which was denied because he said it was, it was so highly publicized in such a small county. And, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't like I was some schlump that was in trouble all the time, somebody that they expected to be in trouble. Everything was, you know, mom did this and a, a mom did that. And so it was very sensationalized and highly publicized. This is obviously also something we've discussed with U.S. Attorney Michael Leonard. A number of the cases and the inmates that I'm talking to all had quite... Um, very high-profile trials. They were in the news a hell of a lot the whole way through their trial and there was a lot said about them as people and that sort of stuff. So 
I, I also find it very hard to believe that you you can't police that. Like, you know, you say, don't you go home now and watch anything, but... Yeah, you're, you're right there. I mean, keep in mind one thing that, you know, most cases, the vast majority of them say, who knows, 95, 98, 99% of them garner very little publicity during mm. the case leading up to the case. There might have been a newspaper story about the case or, you know, sadly in our country, it might be a, a run of the mill murder case, which yeah. is pretty sad to say, but yeah. even a murder case may generate very little pretrial publicity. The cases you're talking about, which generate more publicity, it's, yeah, it's difficult to imagine that the people go home, they don't do any social media hunting, nothing on the blogs, you know, no conversation with friends. It's, it's hard for me, me to believe that it doesn't really happen. Mm. It's very difficult to prove to unearth that. I just had a recent case in, federal court in St. Louis, Missouri. And in that town, our particular case got a ton of intention, meaning that, you know, you'd go home at night after the end of the trial, did the six o'clock news would be running stories about what happened in court that day. Yeah. To, to believe the people didn't see those news stories, weren't impacted by them is, is probably pretty far-fetched. But, you know, all the judge can do is remind them again and again, hey, you're not allowed to go on social media. You're not allowed to do any independent investigation. Do I believe that doesn't happen? Uh, no, I, I think it's far-fetched to think that people aren't doing some research on their own. Nonetheless, the trial is to go ahead. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll begin with Kim's second trial. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. As always, this is my chance to thank everyone for listening to the show. The continued support and kind words mean so much, and I really do appreciate you taking the time to not only listen, but to send messages of support and kind words. Your mission this week remains the same. Tell one person about this show, a friend, family member, someone at work. Let's spread the word about one minute remaining. Now, back to Kim. So, Kim was back in court, accused of arson and the premeditated attempted murder of her husband. The motive? According to prosecutors, it was all focused around money. They say that she owed her former employee a large sum of cash. In fact, three quarters of a million dollars. So I asked him to explain the situation. Basically, when I left the company that I had worked for, they were in Maryland and I was in Florida. And for a few years, it was good. Um, we had a good 
working relationship and understanding. You know, I fly back and forth, you know, once uh, once a month or any extra times that I needed to fly back and forth. And when my kids were younger, it was fine. My husband would go with me and the children would go. And then as they started to get into school, you know, they he, he needed to stay down here with them and they obviously couldn't go. So then it, it kind of became an issue, like, you know, like it was a problem that I was leaving and, and so it wasn't a very good working relationship. So we had kind of decided that we would part mutually. Um, when we did that, because I, okay, when I lived um, in Maryland and I used to, to put things on my personal credit cards for the company, they were a small company, they only had one credit card, so they had cash flow problems at times. And so I had very good credit. I had a few credit cards that had very high limits. So, you know, there was one month I put $25,000 worth of computers on my card. Um, I would pay their their monthly telecom bills. Um, so I would have a lot of expense reports that I would get reimbursed for. And when I moved to Florida, that continued. But the only difference is because of the delay in mail and things like that, instead of just um, submitting an expense report and getting paid, I just went ahead and paid my credit card bills for those expenses with the company account. Right. So when this started, because it all everything you have to realize, all this stuff kind of happened at one time. So when the um, when the police got involved, they hired forensic um, accountants to go into the account and try to look for inconsistencies in, in accounting. And that's the first thing they picked up on was, hey, she's paying her personal credit card bills with company funds. So I tried to, I had several discussions with the owner of the company. Because, you know, it was it was months, again, months and months later, I had several discussions with him in the types of um, bills that I was paying for them and the expenses. And I kept saying, how much do you think that I owe you? And I'm not saying, you know, it's really easy to get the lines crossed when when you're handling everybody's uh, or you're, hang, you're handling your company's business and you're using, you know, your personal finances. Things kind of get crossed. So I'm not saying that there weren't expenses that maybe I padded it with, you know, like when I when I flew to Maryland, they also paid for my children's airfare and my husband's airfare and, yep. you know, things like that. So I knew I knew that I probably did owe them some money. And it's not that it's right to do that, but, you know, that's, that's what it did. And, and I can take responsibility for that. But it certainly wasn't that kind of money. Most of those expenses were business expenses. So Kim was doing what a lot of people around the world do, put company expenses on their credit card and then claim those expenses back at a later date. And, of course, she just admitted that she did owe them some money for a few extra cheeky expenses here and there, but nowhere near the amount that they were claiming. But although accused of this crime, Kim had actually never been, one, convicted of it, or two, even spoken to by police about it. The state actually, they used it against me. They they mentioned it in the trial, but I had never been charged with it. Right. So they kept saying that I wanted, their theory was that I wanted my husband life, husband's life insurance money. And I kept saying, well, he only had, you know, like $200,000 policy. And, you know, they said, well, pe- you know, their, their thing was, you know, people have killed for less, you know, just real dramatic. Life. But um, the, the theory was that I wanted the life insurance money. 
What's important to note there is that Kim tells us that her husband's policy was only around $200,000. So the notion that she would try and kill her husband for $200,000 to pay off a three-quarter of a million dollar debt does seem like an extreme measure to go to. So when it comes to the apparent embezzlement of all this money, Kim says she wasn't even actually spoken to about this until after she'd been charged with the fire. When I was first arrested and then they came back and charged me with the fire. Then I was questioned by the FBI regarding these charges. And I never heard anything. I never heard anything for another three years. So I didn't even know there was anything going on. After I was convicted and sent to prison, I was taken back out to court and I had no idea why. The state charged me four years later with grand theft for these funds. And so that's how that happened. So I kept trying to tell them that most of these expenses were for for company expenses and that they needed to do due diligence, pull the credit card receipts, see what was purchased, because a lot of that stuff could be accounted for. And they just, they never did it. Um, I had the same attorney for this case, and he basically came at me with a five-year plea deal and said, you know, they can take you to trial, and if you're found guilty, you can get 30 years. So you should take this plea deal. And I had been in county jail for a year on this charge. So I wasn't getting any kind of gain time towards my prison sentence. And, and quite honestly, it's miserable in county jail compared to prison because you have absolutely no freedom. So I had, I had acquired a tiny little bit of freedom for those six weeks that I was in prison before they took me back out to county. Mm. And so I just got tired of sitting there and I ended up signing a plea deal. Um, my attorney said, don't worry about the restitution. We can figure it out later. We can have a hearing for the restitution, and then we can pull the records, and we can get a more accurate account of what you might owe. But that never happened because after that, I never heard from my attorney again. So, so But that's where the charges came from for the grand theft. So this was all after you'd already been um, found guilty of the arson and the attempted murder? Yes, and I'd already come to prison for it. Um, and it, it was four years after, it was four years later, before, after, the, um, after I had been questioned by the FBI, I didn't hear anything for four years. And that, that's when they charged me. You have one minute remaining. Oh, wow. All right, well, we're going to get so a cut off. you want me to call you back? <laughs> I mean, if you want to call me back to, to today, you're more than welcome. And there's our friend to wrap up the episode. Now, if you thought that this trial couldn't get any more bizarre, think again as a fire marshal changes his ruling because of a phone call. Fire investigators testified they first called the fire accidental, then changed their mind. The cause of the fire now switched from accidental to an incendiary fire. He never said in detail about why his technical opinion changed. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.